and yet at the same time I can make up stories that are totally believable until you get to the punchline and then people say, oh, why didn't I see that coming? I uh, appreciate the fact that Jesus told stories. He told parables. This morning, Sunday school, in the men's class, we talked about parables. But uh, uh, he told some true stories. And you say, well, how can you tell the difference when you're reading the scriptures? Well, actually, it's, it's not as hard as you might think. If it's a parable, it says, and he spoke a parable unto them. Okay? So if it says it's a parable, guess what? It's a... Oh, oh y'all are so smart. Thank you. <laughs> okay? If it doesn't say it's a parable, then sometimes it's not quite so easy to, understand, to, to know for sure. But if he names people in the story, that means it's not a parable. He is talking about particular people. Sometimes he identifies them in a particular way so that uh, the disciples who are traveling with him all the time, they know exactly who he's talking about, but, uh, uh, but he doesn't use their name. For example, he says a, a certain rich young ruler came to him one time and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he didn't want to inherit it. He wanted to earn it. What must I do to earn eternal life? And Jesus said, Oh, and he named the way to inherit eternal life. Live a perfect life. Keep the Ten Commandments. And the young man, uh, Jesus only mentioned the ones that refer to our relationships to each other. And so the young man said, oh, I've kept all of those from the time I was just a little kid. And Jesus said, oh, then you only lack one thing. Sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the young man turned away, sorrowful. The scripture says that Jesus loved him. But he turned away sorrowful because he was not willing to put his faith in God. He was putting his faith in what he had, what he had accumulated. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six tells us. And so this young man went away, sad. And as far as we know, he never did get eternal life, which is kind of tragic. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus relates another story about two very real people. Two very real people. Fairly familiar passage if you've been attending church for very long. It begins, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now, this is how we know it was a true story, because he names the, the beggar. Uh, he, he, they know who he is, who he's talking about, because his name is Lazarus. Okay? You say, why doesn't he relate the rich man's name? Oh, that's the sad part of the story. If a person dies and their name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, God forgets them. When we get to heaven, at the end of the millennial kingdom, when all the 
lost or judged, cast into the lake of fire, God will wipe their memories from our minds so that we will be able to enjoy living with him forever. You say, how do you know that, Brother Casey? The Bible doesn't say that. No, it says he wipes all tears from their eyes. You think there won't be some tears watching your neighbors, your, your loved ones, cast into the lake of fire? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be horrible. They're going to be there forever and ever. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says that this is the second death. So Jesus is telling this story about a certain rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now this this, uh, purple that he's clothed in indicates extreme wealth, almost royalty. Okay, If you're really wealthy, you don't have to be king. You wear the king's clothes uh, because the king's going to depend on you for taxes mostly. (laughs) But... That's that's what he's talking about here. And he said, there's a certain beggar which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried Let me pause here just for a moment because the beggar died and was not taken to heaven. He was taken to Abraham's bosom, which is the place of rest for believers before Christ's resurrection from the dead, before his crucifixion. It was called Sheol in the Old Testament. The Greeks call it Hades. Okay, It's divided into two sections. There's a place of rest and a place of torment. And the people in the place of torment could see the people in the place of rest. We'll discover that later on as Jesus tells this story. But there was a great distance between them so that they couldn't go from one to the other. When Jesus died on the cross, the scripture says he went and preached, kept, uh, preached uh, captivity to the captives and he led them out of Abraham's bosom, took them home to heaven. So that now, to be absent from the body is not to be in Abraham's bosom. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the Apostle Paul tells us. Okay? So, uh, when uh, Brother Begaman's brother-in-law passed away this morning, took his last breath, stepped into the presence of God, drew a good deep breath, Woo! it smelled heavenly. So sweet. And he saw his Savior face to face. The rich man died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments. The question comes, why does it say the beggar died, was carried to Abraham? carried into Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died and was buried. Well, because the soul of the beggar, the believer, went to be with uh, to Abraham's bosom. His body was probably not buried. It was probably cast in on the garbage dump. It was always burning, you know. They didn't want the body laying around decaying, so they took the body, and, and uh, within about 24 hours... 
took it and they disposed of it. The rich man died, and because he's rich, he has a tomb. And so they take his body and they wrap it in all these fine linens, and they and they put spices in the linen, uh, and uh, and all. I mean, it's fit to be king, just a dead king. And they put him in this tomb, seal the tomb, put a stone across it, burns over the tomb, and he lays there until his body decays, and then they go in, gather up the bones, put them in a little box, limestone box, and slide it into the corner so they can bury somebody else there later. So, Brother Casey, is all that significant? No, it just explains why he says he was buried. He was buried with full decoration, accompanied with finery and, and all the ritual that goes with it. But notice the beginning of the next verse. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And he seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. That's why we call it Abraham's bosom. Lazarus is being comforted. And he cried, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good, thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my to my father's house. If I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, which is the Old Testament Scriptures, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, the message may be a little disjointed this morning, but I want to give you the main point right now. People don't go to heaven, people don't go to heaven because they're rich. People don't go to heaven because they're good. People don't go to heaven because they're nice. People only go to heaven because they have believed the one that rose from the dead. People don't go to hell because they're evil or wicked. In fact, heaven is filled with wicked people. Hell is filled with good people. People don't go to heaven because they gave a lot of money to the church. Although I'm not opposed to that. I just don't want you using that for your excuse to go to heaven. No. People go to hell because they don't believe the one that rose from the dead. That's what this rich man said about his brothers. Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Guess what? One did. One did. 
And the Old Testament prophets prophesied that he would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, to give us the gospel. Paul said, now this is the gospel that I preach to you. This is how you get saved. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The only scriptures they had at the time were the Old Testament scriptures. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. People get saved by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've heard me say it before. If you can get to heaven by being good, how good do you have to be? Well, Jesus told the disciples that. He said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not even see heaven. You'll not even see the kingdom of God. And the scribes and the Pharisees obeyed the law to the letter. And that wasn't good enough. People say, well, you get saved by, uh, by, by doing your best, being good to your neighbor, trying to keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's wonderful. And so what? God puts all your good deeds in a scale and he puts all your bad deeds over here and you hope that your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? Oh, man, when I was in third grade, Mrs. Kirby said you had to have a 65%, not a 51%, to get into fourth grade. Fortunately, mine was a little better than that, but, but, it, but 59% wouldn't cut it. So why do they think they, 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 they're just going to have to just barely make it? No, that won't get it. We go on from there. Scripture is quite clear. You get saved by believing the gospel. And believing the gospel requires faith. What is faith? Faith is believing that God can and will do what He said He would do. Okay? And He says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. I said that just a while ago. I'll probably say it again a few times because... We live lives thinking that, well, I'm I'm not that bad. I'm sure God's pleased with me. I mean, I even even took my neighbor's homemade ice cream last week. Not the whole container, but some. Okay? Was that pleasing to God? Not if it wasn't done in faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Impossible. We buy houses based on faith. What? Sure. Yeah, because we don't pay cash, do we? We borrow the money. And the bank has faith that we're going to be alive long enough to pay it off. And we're going to be healthy enough to work to earn them enough money to pay it off. So the bank expresses their faith in us. And we express our faith in God. Knowing that if we have to have all the money tomorrow, it's not going to happen. But. What happens when things get a little bit tight? Do we live by faith then? 
or do we worry and fret? Yeah. In this church, we say, if you're worried or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. At least you get a little exercise. Interesting thing about hell. Whenever we talk about hell, we think of it generally as this place called Hades. That's actually not hell. I know the Greek word that is translated into English here uses the word hell because it's a place of torment. But it is not the final place. The final place of punishment for sinners was designed solely for the devil and his followers. One-third of the angels in heaven followed Satan when Satan said, I'm going to be better than God. I'm going to be higher than God. I will set my throne above the throne of heaven. I will be like the most high God. He goes on, five different I wills. I will this, I will that, I will that. And God said, no, you won't. And a third of the angels followed him, rebelled against God. Many of them are already in hell, reserved in darkness to the day of judgment. And then when that day comes, then it will be even worse for them than it is now. But it was not designed for human beings. God's purpose in creating creating man was that we might have fellowship with him. that, That we might love him because he loves us so much. That's what I like about grandchildren. You know? They teach us a little bit about the depth of God's love. Yesterday, Laura texted me and said, Ben wants to know where Grandpa Randy is. Well, I got my phone out and I started texting back, told him exactly where I was and when he could expect to see me. Why? Because he's my grandson. He just turned three, by the way. Smart. Woo! He's smart. Good looking. Got his looks from his dad. His mom still got hers. Cute, cute kid. And he knows how to squeeze my heart. He climbs up on my lap and says, Grandpa, I want some Oreos. It doesn't matter how close it is to dinner time. It doesn't matter how many Oreos he's already had. When he says the word Grandpa, he's getting anything he wants. (laughs) The only time he didn't get what he wanted was when he said Grandpa. That's my chair. You get up. I said, nope, that's Grandpa Randy's chair. I'm not getting up. He said 11 times. This is for our visitors because our people have already heard this. He said 11 times. And finally I looked at him and said, Ben, whose chair is this? And he said, okay, it's Grandpa Randy's chair. And I'm Grandpa Randy. You get up. (laughs) So I got up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I decided that God gives us children so we will know what it means to love something so much that we're willing to sacrifice for it. That's how much He loves us. 
gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then he gives us grandchildren so we'll know how deeply he loves us. People still go to the place of torment where Lazarus is. Excuse me, where the rich man is. Jesus told this story about 1980, 1990 years ago, something like that. And this guy's still there. He's still tormented in the flames. And he's no longer worried about his brothers. He's worried about his great, 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 great grandkids. Hoping that somebody will tell them about the one who rose from the dead that they might believe. You know the worst thing about hell? I mean, there's a lot of bad things about hell, right? The fire. The fire. It burns and consumes even the light. That's how hot it burns. Even the light is consumed. So that the people who are there are are said to be lost because they're in total abject darkness. They can hear others there, but they can't see them. They can't find them. They can hear the wails of people who are suffering and in agony and have been for thousands of years. But they can't find them, and nobody can find them. A guy told me one time, he said, Brother Casey, I I, I don't mind going to hell. I'm going to die and go to hell and be with all my friends. And I said, oh, man, that's cool. I want to take you with me to John Cochran Hospital. He said, what? I said, I want to take you to John Cochran Hospital. Over on the sixth floor, I think it's the sixth floor. I hadn't been there in a number of years. But they have the cancer ward, throat and mouth cancer for the most part, guys who chew tobacco or smoke. And, and you go in there, and there's guys with these big gaping holes in the side of their head and neck. And they're in agony. And uh, they're, they're given painkiller, but it's, it's, it's never enough to kill all the pain. And they're in a ward so that there's, there were eight guys, two beds on this side, two beds on that side, two beds on this side, two beds on this side, eight guys in the same ward, and not one of them was delighted to be there because his friends were there. Every one of them was in agony. It didn't matter who else was there. And I think about people dying and going to hell to be with their friends. How stupid can you be? You don't even have to wear a sign. And so the pain and the agony is a terrible thing. Another horrible thing about hell is the memories. Because people in hell remember every time. The Holy Spirit would dealt with their hearts about Jesus. Every time they heard the gospel or every time they looked at creation and, and recognized that there had to be a God. But they rejected the fact that it might be a God in heaven. 
or people who took a look around them and decided that they were God. Memories of every occasion. And they relive them over and over and over and over again. And that makes hell a terrible place. But that's not the worst thing about hell. One of these days the devil's going to be there and all of his demons are going to be there. And their delight now is to torment people. What do you think they're going to be doing in eternity? And that's awful. Causing terror in the hearts and minds of folks. That's terrible. But that's not the worst thing about hell. You know what the worst thing about hell is? It's probably different for you. Just because people are different. The worst thing about hell is the fact that my father-in-law is probably there. Been there 42 years. And he's going to be there another million, ten million, hundred billion years. The worst thing about hell is that you're some of your friends and some of your relatives are going there. Some of your neighbors, some of the people that, that you work with are going to hell. Jesus describes it in Matthew and as a place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I was 17 years old, first time I heard a man wail. Raised the hair on the back of my neck. I mean, it was terrifying. When you're 17, you know everything, but I didn't know that. I didn't know what a wail sounded like. This man was in the waiting room at the hospital. The doctor came out. And said your wife had a very difficult delivery. And she's going to be fine. But the baby didn't make it. And this man wailed. It was the most heart-wrenching sound I have ever heard in my life. It was a sound of absolute hopelessness. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. All he knew is that his baby boy was dead. And he wailed. And Jesus said, Hell will be filled with weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever hurt so bad that you ground your teeth together? Wonderful thing about painkillers is we don't have to experience that anymore. Civil War, they cut guys' legs off without anesthesia. You know, hold him down. Wow. People would grind their teeth off from the pain.
worst thing about hell is the people who are going to be there. The second worst thing about hell is the fact that nobody has to go, but a lot of people are going. I'm done. But no preacher ever gets done without saying one more thing. So here's one more thing. When Jesus died, put him in the tomb, he went to this place called Hades. In the Old Testament, Sheol, that's the Hebrew word, Greek Hades. English, hell, he went there and he preached. And all the people in the place of torment heard that he had died, according to the scriptures, been buried, and was going to rise again, according to the scriptures. And they had had all those Old Testament scriptures to tell them that all the years of their life and they didn't believe it. So now they know for certain why they are in hell. And then he takes all the people in Abraham's bosom and he leads them home to the presence of God Almighty. February 16th. My brother Rod, Ron, his last breath his heart stopped beating and he didn't have to go to hell July 24th 1983 my mother drew her last breath and the last word the last thing she said before she drew her last breath was okay Lord I'm coming and she hit the floor massive brain hemorrhage February 13, 1980, my dad, sitting on the side of the bed, talking to a pastor friend from Memphis, Tennessee, handed the phone to my mom, bowed his head. She thought he was praying. She talks to, the, to, to this man for a little while, and then uh, she hangs up the phone, and she looks over at my dad, reaches out and touches him on the arm, and he slumps over on the bed. He's in the presence of Almighty God. That keeps me going every day. Because one of these days, I'm going to see Him again. When I was 11 years old, I asked Jesus Christ to forgive my sins and to save me, and He did it. I remember it distinctly. It concerns me about folks who who say, "Well, well, yeah, I've always believed. Yeah, I've asked Jesus to, to forgive me hundreds of times. Now, there has to be a time. A time. Because it's a moment when you are born again. The Holy Spirit of God moves into you. And that's not something you can easily forget. Because of that, I know I'm going to see Him again. But I didn't meet my wife until... 
Well, I didn't meet her until the moment we said I did, but I knew her as my girlfriend before that. <coughs> but I didn't meet her until after her dad had already passed away. And as far as we know, he died and went to hell. And I always wonder if they had a neighbor who was saved who could have shared the gospel with him. Or if there's somebody in his family who knew Jesus and, and, and could have shared the gospel with him, would he have gotten saved had he had a, at just somebody to tell him? I don't know. But I don't want my neighbors to die and go to hell because nobody tells them. How about you? If you're here this morning and you do not know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are going to heaven when you draw your last breath here, today you can get saved from the penalty of hell. You can get saved. That's what the scripture says. Today is the day of salvation. If you know you're saved, you hadn't been living for the Lord. You hadn't been pleasing Him. You've been all wrapped up in self instead of being wrapped up in Jesus. This would be a good day to come and pour your heart out to Him. You're on this altar. Get things right. Because He's coming back. Come back soon. Okay? He said He was. And I believe him because that's faith. Let's bow together in prayer, standing quietly to our feet as we do. Father, this morning we thank you for your word.